This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Whether you're making a delicious family meal or a post-workout snack, choose the farm-fresh taste of Eggland's Best Eggs. Only Eggland's best hens are fed their proprietary all-vegetarian feed. That's what makes their eggs more nutritious. With 10 times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and six times more vitamin D compared to ordinary eggs. Eggland's best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com to learn more. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of infanticide, disability discrimination, and child abuse. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about changelings. Today's episode combines elements from a number of legends and stories about these evil fairies for dramatic effect. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters. Each episode takes a look at the monsters that have been haunting human imaginations ever since we first began telling stories. Our ancestors created these legendary beasts to make sense of the world around them. In telling their stories, we shed light on the fears that have haunted civilizations for centuries. Today, we'll be discussing changelings, the malevolent fairies who take the place of kidnapped human children. These unsettling beings were inspired by the anxieties that surrounded childbirth and mortality in the Middle Ages. New episodes of Mythical Monsters are available every week. You can find them for free along with all the other ParCast originals on Spotify. Though the myth of the changeling dates back to pre-Christian times, most documented accounts come from the late Middle Ages, a period that lasted from the 13th to 16th centuries. The details vary throughout Europe, but the basic elements of every changeling story remain the same. A human baby is stolen away when its mother isn't looking and replaced with a fairy. The mother may not notice at first, but as time goes on, she becomes more and more convinced that the child is not her own. Sometimes the baby is replaced with a block of wood, while in other cases, the changeling eats constantly or never grows out of infancy. Often, the fairies are wizened old goblins with the ability to change shape. To most people, they appeared to be perfectly ordinary babies, but in time, they show their true form, a sharp-toothed ghoul laying in the cradle that once contained a beloved child. Many descriptions of changelings closely parallel a variety of congenital disorders, including Down syndrome, spina bifida, and cerebral palsy. These changeling stories are very likely true accounts of birth anomalies that actually occurred. 
the mythologizing of real-life disorders speaks to the fear at the center of the changeling myth, a fear of pregnancy and birth itself. In the Middle Ages, pregnancy was a terrifying and potentially deadly ordeal. A 1992 study found that, on average, one in ten medieval adult women would die during childbirth. Even if a woman did survive giving birth, there was a 20% chance that the child itself would die before their fifth birthday. The death of a child was a looming tragedy. It was an ever-present fear that was compounded if the baby was exhibiting symptoms that the parents could not understand. Rather than accept the idea that their child would always be different or might not survive at all, some parents chose to believe that the baby wasn't really theirs. They placed their hope in the idea that this infant who was struggling to survive was a changeling, the offspring of malevolent fairies. It wasn't ideal, but it did mean that their healthy child was out there somewhere. Their baby wasn't gone. It had just been spirited away to the realm of the fairies. Anne squeezed her sister Margaret's hand and let out another groan. She felt like she was being run through with hot knives. When the wave of pain subsided, it left her panting and shaking. The midwife looked under Anne's nightdress and frowned. Anne could hear the woman saying something about the baby facing the wrong direction. The midwife was saying not to push, to just breathe through the pain. Anne tried to do as she was told, but every bone in her body was screaming for her to get this baby out. She took in one deep, labored breath after another. Finally, she heard a voice telling her to push. Every thought flew from Anne's mind as she was overwhelmed by unspeakable agony. Then, all at once, the pain subsided. Anne opened her eyes to see Margaret and the midwife standing with their backs to her. She realized that something was wrong. Anne called out in a hoarse voice, "'Where's my baby? Give me my baby!' The midwife turned around. She was holding an oblong object. It was slimy and covered in blood. At first, Anne recoiled in disgust, but as the midwife came closer, Anne realized what it was. In an odd voice, the midwife whispered that she'd heard this could happen, but had never seen it in person. The baby had been born with a veil. Anne watched as the midwife peeled away the thin membrane and a struggling child emerged. The baby began to cry and Anne's heart flooded with relief. As soon as the midwife handed her the infant, the cries subsided. Anne looked down in wonder at the delicate creature that she clutched to her breast. Margaret knelt by her side and whispered in her ear, Anne, you must always watch over him. Make sure to never let him out of your sight. This is no ordinary child. This baby has been marked by the Fay folk. Anne leaned back against the sweat-soaked pillow. Margaret had called the child a he. She had given birth to a baby boy. In one out of every 80,000 births, the infant is born with some portion of the amniotic sac still covering it. This is what is known as a veiled birth, or birth with a call. 
The condition is harmless, but to the people of medieval Europe, it held enormous spiritual significance. Children born with a call were known as call bearers and were thought to have special powers. Some believed they could heal the sick, see the future, or were forever protected from drowning. Others saw these unusual births as evidence that the child had been marked by fairies. In changeling tales, the fairies who kidnapped human babies were often motivated by a belief that these infants were superior to their own offspring. Children who were exceptionally docile or beautiful were at a higher risk of being taken. With this in mind, it's easy to see why the call bearers, with their potential for great spiritual powers, were considered especially vulnerable. Mothers who gave birth to call bearers had to be particularly cautious. If a mother left the house to do any sort of manual labor within the first six weeks after birth, the baby would be in danger of being taken. This belief served a practical purpose, in that it allowed mothers to bond with and protect their infants during a crucial early development stage. Sadly, the harsh reality of life as a medieval peasant meant that many mothers were unable to take six weeks off. A few short minutes was more than enough time for a fairy to steal away a human child. Dina remained at the back of the party as they made their way towards the human realm. Up ahead of her, the others were dancing wildly through the misty marshland. Dina did not feel like dancing. She held her child in her arms and gazed into the coal-black pits of his eyes. He was an ugly thing. His wrinkled skin was the yellow color of an infected wound. His teeth were long and sharp, and wiry hair sprouted in random patches from his cheeks and chin. To most, he would seem to be a monster, but to Dina, he would always be her baby boy. For 300 years, she had nurtured this child. She knew he would never grow out of this strange state of infancy, but she loved him all the more for it. Even so, she knew that it was her duty to give him up. He would be traded for the human baby. The elder Fay had seen in their sacred fires that the child was a call-bearer, gifted with the power of sight. Dina would take him and raise him as her own. The boy would be of great use to their people once he came of age. At the end of the marsh, an oval of suspended water hung in the air like a piece of glass. One by one, the Fae stepped through the watery door until only Dina remained. She gazed at her reflection. She had pale green skin stretched tight over a skeletal frame. Her smile was a jumble of yellow fangs, and her eyes were hollow black pools. This was the face of a true woodland queen. As Dina stepped through the door, the world around her shifted. She found herself stepping upwards instead of forwards. She came out through the surface of a weed-choked pond into the center of a dense green wood. The others had been waiting for her. As soon as she arrived, they took up their lutes and drums and began to play. 
The dancers whirled and twisted through the trees. Some had skin that was colored with the deep green of pine needles. Others were covered in brown scales that resembled bark. A few more blended in with the slate-colored rocks scattered over the forest floor. Watching them dance was dizzying. It gave the impression of looking into a whirlpool of forest foliage being blown about by a violent wind. The dancing was done for their own amusement, but the strange trance-like music was necessary for the fairies to remain completely invisible. Anyone who heard the steady drumbeat found themselves suddenly distracted. Their vision would fix on a tree or a cloud, and they would stare at it for as long as the music continued. This allowed the fairies to do as they pleased. Their quarry sat at the edge of the forest, next to a field where peasants in tattered rags were gathering the hay into bundles. A human mother had placed her plump baby into the hollow between the roots of a large oak tree. The foolish woman had left him alone there while she worked in the field. As the fairies approached, he looked up at them with his wide blue eyes and gave a happy gurgle. The fairies looked back at Dina and waited for her to step forward. Dina knelt down and placed her fairy child next to the human baby. She studied the baby for a moment, then she placed her hands over the face of her own infant. Dina muttered a low incantation as she began to shape her child's face. She molded his features as though they were made of clay. First, she squished his bulbous, wart-covered nose. She remade his leathery lips into a pleasant pink pout and smoothed the wrinkles on his face. By the time she was done, her own child looked almost identical to the human baby. There was only one thing left to do. Dina reached into the pocket of her leather smock and pulled out two wide blue eyes made of fairy glass. She placed a tender kiss upon her baby's forehead and fitted the glass eyes in place. She picked up the human baby and carefully laid her own child in his place. Finally, she stood and motioned to her court of fairies. Their work here was done. The fairies made their way back towards the wood, leaving the changeling child alone in the hollow. As the last of his kin disappeared, the fairy infant began to wail. Coming up, Anne suspects that there's something not quite right about her new baby. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, back to the story. For Europeans in the Middle Ages, the word fairy encompassed a wide variety of supernatural beings, many of them malevolent. 
fairies existed in all shapes and sizes. Some of them resembled the fantasy creatures that we think of as elves, while others were closer to goblins or dwarves. They could cause famine, cure diseases, and sometimes portend death. The only thing that all fairies had in common was that, to the people of medieval Europe, they were very real. Belief in the fey folk was so strong that people often referred to them as the hidden folk or the good people in order to keep from offending these powerful and ever-present supernatural beings. Though some fairies enjoyed helping humans by cleaning their homes and assisting with chores, others were more malevolent. Evil fairies, like the ones who appear in changeling stories, often have a strong association with the wilderness. They tend to live in forests or marshes, and their powers often involve elements of nature. These types of fairies were a metaphorical embodiment of the Earth itself. Just like the natural world they came from, they were powerful, destructive, and completely apathetic to the concerns of human life. And as we'll see, fairy children could create just as much chaos as any natural disaster. Anne wiped a bead of sweat from her forehead as she leaned over to gather another sheaf of hay. She glanced over at the tree where baby John was resting on a patch of soft green moss. He was still gurgling happily, just where she had left him. Anne smiled. Her sister's children had screamed all day and night when they were babies, but John hardly ever cried. Her sister had warned her to never leave baby John alone. She'd feared that fairies would snatch him away and replace him with a changeling. At first, Anne had humored her. She was happy enough to spend time resting and playing with her newborn baby. In the months since she'd given birth, she'd barely left her one-room cottage. But the time had passed far quicker than she realized. When the tax collector came, Anne had pleaded with him. She told him she was a recent widow and a new mother. The man had laughed. He told her that his lordship, the Earl of Devonshire, was not in the business of supporting women who used their children for excuses. Anne had been forced to go back to work, this time with a new infant and a month's worth of rent hanging over her head. She had tried working with John strapped to her back, but it was exhausting. Usually, Anne worked faster than anyone, but with a baby, everything took her four times as long. She'd known that if she could only put the child down for an hour, she would have the strength to make it through the rest of the day. Anne glanced over at him every few minutes to make sure he was still there. She was reassured by the fact that she would be able to hear him crying if anything happened. What could go wrong if her child was never out of earshot? Without the baby weighing her down, Anne made good time. She had just finished clearing her last row of wheat when she heard a high-pitched cry echo across the field. Anne's heart jumped up into her throat. She leaped over the bales of hay and ran towards the spot where she had left baby John. When she arrived at the oak tree, she was relieved to see that her baby was still there. His face was scrunched into a knot of fury, and he was screaming with every bit of breath in his tiny lungs. Anne picked him up and began to bounce him up and down. 
Usually, this would be enough to get him to calm down, but John continued to scream just as loudly as before. She cooed and sang to him, but it seemed like there was nothing she could do to stop his screaming. Anne wondered if maybe something in the woods had frightened him. She peered into the dense greenery. For a moment, she thought she saw a figure standing at the edge of the trees, but when she looked again, there was nothing there. Anne held her baby tight to her breast. It was time to head home. Perhaps he would calm down once she got him back to the cottage. John's crying did not let up. Anne tried everything she could think of to get him to calm down. She burped him and sang to him. She bathed him and swaddled him in blankets, but nothing helped. The only time he stopped crying was when she fed him. It was strange. John had always had a normal appetite, but suddenly he was ravenous. No matter how much she fed him, he always wanted more. When Anne had no more of her own milk to give, she gave him goat's milk. John drank and drank until she ran out of that, too. Then she just sat with him, rocking him in her arms and pleading for him to be still. As she gazed down at the screaming infant, she thought about how different he looked when he was crying. Perhaps it was just the way his face was all scrunched up, but at that moment he truly looked like an entirely different child. It was late in the night by the time John finally dozed off. Anne was famished and exhausted. She'd been so busy with the baby that she hadn't even had a moment to eat. She placed John into his cradle. Then, as quietly as she could, she crept outside to fetch some eggs for her dinner. As Anne returned to the house, she thought she heard something strange. It was a gravelly and altogether inhuman voice talking to itself. She strained to hear what the voice was saying, but caught only a few words, something about being older than the mountains and traveling from the world beyond. A knot formed in the pit of Anne's stomach. The voice seemed to be coming from inside her house. She threw open the door and stepped inside. Anne breathed a sigh of relief. There was no one in the cottage. Her gaze fell on John's crib. The baby was standing up and looking directly at her. His skin looked slightly jaundiced in the light of the fire. There was something about his eyes that made a chill run up her spine. They looked hollow somehow. Suddenly, Anne had the strange thought that they weren't eyes at all. She imagined they were made of glass, and behind them were only empty black pits. Anne shook her head. She was probably just tired. As she stared at him, John resumed his wailing. Anne put down the eggs and walked wearily back to the crib. Her dinner would have to wait. By the time daybreak came, Anne's head was pounding and her whole body ached from lack of sleep. She was contemplating the unbearable idea of going to work in the fields when there was a knock at the door. Anne opened it to find her sister holding a freshly baked loaf of bread. Margaret said she'd heard from some of the other villagers how Anne's child had been screaming in the fields. She'd come to see if Anne could use any help in caring for the baby. 
Anne breathed in the smell of the warm bread. Her eyes brimmed with tears of relief, and she fell sobbing into her sister's arms. Many poor farming families in pre-industrial Europe led a hand-to-mouth existence. They had very little time or resources to spare. Children were expected to help in any way they could as soon as they were able. For these families, the birth of a child with a congenital disorder was seen as an untenable burden. Changeling stories with their uncanny parallels to various real-life conditions make the nature of that burden all too clear. Often the changeling has a voracious appetite, so much so that he eats until the family members themselves are starving. New parents planned for their children to become a part of the family workforce, eventually producing as much as their parents and ensuring that they were cared for in their old age. One of the fears expressed in changeling tales is the idea that an uncontrollable act of nature might throw a wrench into those carefully calculated plans. The next few months passed in an exhausting blur. Every day, Anne walked the three miles to her sister's house to drop off baby John. She toiled in the fields until the sun went down, before returning to Margaret's home to retrieve the howling infant. The nights were the worst. Most of the time, Anne barely slept. She sat awake in a chair next to her baby's cradle, rocking the screaming child and watching as the night turned slowly into dawn. There were times when Anne got so tired that she started to see things. One night she was chopping carrots when she looked down at the baby beside her and saw that his mouth was full of long, yellow fangs. Anne shrieked and the knife in her hand slipped. The cold steel sliced across her palm, spraying blood over the chopping block. Anne felt sick. She turned away and took a deep breath. When she looked back, John's teeth had returned to normal. Though John ate constantly, he never seemed to grow any bigger. If anything, he was shrinking. He became more wrinkled and wan with each passing day. When she thought back to the baby she'd given birth to, she could hardly believe that this was the same child. Margaret had suspected that her sister's baby was a changeling for some time now. He'd gone from a happy, healthy baby to a shriveled little thing who cried constantly and could drink an entire pail of milk in 20 minutes. She had tried to bring up her fears with Anne, but every time she did, her sister changed the subject. Finally, she decided that if her sister wouldn't listen to reason, she would just have to prove it to her. Margaret knew that there were violent ways to get a changeling to reveal itself, but she hoped it would not come to that. The first thing she tried was confronting the baby with a pair of iron scissors. As her sister was leaving for the day, Margaret pretended to drop the scissors into the baby's cradle. As soon as they landed on the wool blanket, John changed. His teeth became long yellow fangs and his already wrinkled face shriveled up even more. Margaret called out for her sister to come see, but within seconds, he'd changed back. The only thing Margaret got from that attempt was a chiding from her sister for being so careless with the scissors. 
Next, she tried to make the changeling laugh. She'd heard that many changelings revealed themselves when something was so silly that they couldn't help but mock it. As she saw Anne coming down the road towards her cottage, Margaret hurried to the hearth and stood beside it. She mounted an eggshell on the end of a fire poker and filled it with a bit of stew. As her sister entered the cottage, Margaret pretended to stir her little pot of soup with a twig. When Anne saw it, she laughed and asked what she was doing. Margaret looked into the baby's eyes and said, "'Can't you see? I'm making a pot of stew.' The child giggled in a thoroughly childlike manner, while his mother gave her a look of confusion. Anne placed the baby into his cradle and left for work. No sooner had the door closed behind her than Margaret heard an inhuman cackle. She turned to the baby and saw that in its place was a horrible wrinkled thing with skin the color of an oozing wound. It smiled at her with its mouth full of fangs and said in a gravelly voice, Why, I'm as old as the hills, but I've never seen soup cooked like that. As its terrible laughter rang out through her home, Margaret realized that this fairy was far more cunning than she had imagined. If she wanted to show her sister his true nature, she was going to have to do something drastic. When we return, the changeling child shows his true form. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer they've changed so you don't have to download the new Bumble now now back to the story in a palace deep under the muddy bogs of the other world, Dina, queen of the Fey folk, was sitting in front of a mirror of black glass. She ran a comb through the tangle of limp weeds that grew from her scalp. The human baby gurgled pleasantly beside her. He'd only been with her for two months, but already she was tired of him. As she gazed down at the plump human infant, Dina could not help thinking of her own child, who she had left with the human mother in exchange for this one. Were they treating him well? Would the human mother know to feed him with her blood in order to satiate his constant hunger? For so long, Dina had kept herself from checking in on him, but now the urge grew too strong to resist. She ran a hand over the black mirror and muttered a low incantation. As she did, a scene appeared before her. It was a low-ceilinged room where a fire roared in a hearth of gray stone. A woman stood with her child in one hand and a shovel in the other. 
Dina watched, perplexed. Then, as she understood what was happening, she howled in grief and rage. That was her son, the baby she had birthed, the child who had belonged to her for more than 300 years. She glared at the image in the mirror. If this mortal woman harmed her child, Dina would make her pay. Today, changelings are a little more than a footnote in the vast cultural heritage of the world. To believe in them now would seem laughable, even ridiculous. But to the people of the late Middle Ages, belief in fairy children was all too real. They knew that changelings existed in the same way we know that the Earth orbits the sun. It's a fact of life that we can't see or feel, but everything we understand about the world proves it to be true. For many children born throughout the Middle Ages, there were tangible consequences that came from that belief. Children were drowned, whipped, burned with hot pokers, or thrown into fires in attempts to summon their fairy parents. Court records from the later half of the 19th century attest to numerous cases of parents who tortured and murdered their own offspring because they suspected that they were changelings. In one particularly tragic case, a weak child died of exposure when he was made to sit outside on a pile of manure overnight on Christmas Eve. Few of these records exist prior to 1850, but that's not because the torture and infanticide were not occurring at that time. Rather, it's a result of the fact that up until that point, there was no reason to try the parents at all. Everything they were doing was considered completely reasonable by the standards of the time. Many congenital disorders are not immediately apparent after birth. Medieval parents would undoubtedly imagine a future in which these children developed and behaved like any other toddler. When that future did not come to pass, they would turn to a source of authority for guidance. One of these was the church. Martin Luther, the well-respected leader of the Protestant Reformation, thoroughly condoned the summary execution of changeling children. He told these parents that their child was only a piece of flesh. Anne trudged wearily towards her sister's home. She'd made this trip every day for the past two months, but that didn't make it any less tiring. Of course, she was grateful to her sister for looking after John while she worked in the fields, but if she had to fend off one more discussion about how Margaret thought her baby was a changeling, she might scream. Just because the baby wasn't growing properly and had started crying through the night, that didn't make him a changeling, did it? Anne shook her head. No, he was her baby. Any strange changes she may have seen in him were just figments of her exhausted imagination. She shivered in the bitter autumn wind. Through the window of Margaret's cottage, Anne could see that her sister had built a blazing fire in the hearth. At least she would be able to warm up before beginning the long journey home. As soon as the door swung open, Anne sensed that something was amiss. Her sister turned towards her. Margaret was holding an iron shovel in the fire. The end of it was glowing red. In her other arm, she had something that Anne couldn't quite see. Anne took another step closer and asked what Margaret was doing. 
Her sister pulled the shovel out of the flames and placed it on the floor before replying, I'm sorry it had to be like this, but it was the only way that I could prove it to you. She turned to face her sister, and Anne realized with a growing horror what she intended to do. Margaret was holding John under her other arm. Anne started forward, calling out for her sister to stop, but it was too late. Margaret set the struggling infant onto the red-hot shovel. Anne shrieked at the sound of sizzling flesh. She ran to her son and pulled him from the shovel. As she held him close, the smell of burning skin filled her nostrils. She glared at her sister and spat out, How could you do this to your own nephew? Margaret looked back defiantly and told Anne to look at the thing she called her son. Anne held out the boy in front of her and screamed. The thing she'd been hugging was the same size and shape as a baby, but it was clearly not human. Its pus-colored yellow skin hung in loose flaps over a bony frame. As she lifted it up, its eyes fell out of its head, revealing deep black sockets. Anne tossed the thing across the room and crawled to her sister. The two women clung to each other as the fairy baby picked itself up and began to laugh. Margaret looked at Anne and whispered, See, I told you it wasn't human. In a hushed voice, Anne asked what they should do. Margaret gave the baby a look of steely resolve and said that they would do what they had to. She stood up and walked towards the changeling baby. As she did, the thing opened its mouth and clamped down hard on her arm. Margaret gave a yelp of pain. She dropped the shovel and tried to pry the child off, but he clung onto her like a leech. Without thinking, Anne ran to her sister, picked up the shovel, and whacked the baby with it. He fell off of Margaret's arm. Margaret turned to her sister and asked, Now will you take my advice? Anne nodded. She knew now that this was not her boy. Anne tipped another bucket of water into the open grave. She didn't like what they were doing, but if drowning the baby in an open grave was the only way to kill him, then it had to be done. Margaret approached and clapped her on the shoulder. Just a few more ought to do it. Anne nodded grimly. As she turned to grab another bucket full of water, she heard an unearthly shriek. She looked up and her blood froze. A creature was standing at the edge of the graveyard. It was skeletally thin, with long, tangled weeds for hair and black holes where eyes should have been. Anne had never seen anything like it before, but somehow she knew exactly what it was. Margaret came to stand beside her. She whispered that Anne need not be afraid. The Fae couldn't cross over the boundary of the cemetery. Anne looked down at the bucket of water in her hands, and then to the ugly, wrinkled thing that was now up to its chin in water. Margaret had been right about everything so far. Anne had no reason not to follow her advice, and yet the Fae was a mother just like her. All she wanted was her baby. Anne took a deep breath 
and jumped into the grave. Margaret screamed for her to stop, but Anne was undeterred. She clambered out of the grave and approached the Fae. It hissed at her in a language she did not understand, but its face softened as Anne held out the baby. The Fae woman put out her arms and the infant climbed into them. For a moment, Anne watched as the two held each other. She turned to go, but before she could, the thing hissed another incomprehensible string of words at her. For a moment, Anne was certain it was going to kill her. But to her surprise, the fairy reached into her tattered leather apron and produced a plump human baby. Anne's heart leapt. It couldn't be. Incredulously, she reached out for the infant. When she felt his weight in her arms, it was as though a missing piece had finally fallen into place. Anne held the child against her breast and began to weep. After all the wondering and uncertainty, all the grief and fear of the past two months, she finally had her child back. It's hard to look at changeling abusers without passing judgment. Even if these acts were committed because of a sincere belief in fairies, it doesn't excuse the violence that occurred. To these parents, though, the real horror was not the tortures that they enacted, but the idea that they had lost a child and had not even known it. The fear of changelings is deeply tied to the fear of loss. Mothers were afraid that they could see the child live to the age of two or three and then lose them to accidents, disease, or the distance created by a disability that they did not understand. Motherhood is a vital part of life, but it can also be deeply terrifying. Humans created these invisible antagonists as a way to cope with and explain the many tragedies that could befall a new parent. The child that was causing them emotional trauma was not even theirs to begin with. Perhaps our fear of changelings goes back to the old adage, sometimes the ones we love are the ones that hurt us the most. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on changelings, amongst the many sources we used, we found the writing of Professor D.L. Ashleman extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Zoe Luisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 